on TV, online, on guard. This is EPT Not Live. All right, it's a new intro. It's a new day. It's always a new day. It doesn't matter. Hello and welcome. Hello, my babies. It's EPT Not Live. Coming up on today's show, we are back from Malta. Lots to talk about there. Shark Cage episode number eight is now out. And we've got a guest from that show, Ronnie. Ronnie Bada. The beatboxing mime himself, Ronnie Bada. James and I have now both seen Spectre. So at the end of the show, we're going to tell you what we think. Spoiler alert, it's fucking stupid. <laughs> But you can t- tune out so we don't ruin it for you at the end of the show. Another edition of Superfan vs. Stapes, but it's very special this week. You'll see why in just a few minutes. That's right, a special early edition of Superfan vs. Stapes. But before we get too deep into this, it's time to introduce my work wife, James Hardigan. Slightly weird to not have all those cameras pointing at us and not be wearing a ridiculous outfit this week. No, that was weird. This is normal. But I'd adjusted, is what I'm saying. I got used to it. One hold. Well, I guess you're a real professional, James Hardigan, adjusting after only one show. I found it to be very weird doing the show in that setting. But people seem... Well, most people seemed happy with it. I've... (laughs) Generally, the feedback has been positive. I think there's a pretty decent chance that we do it again when we go to Prague in December. Uh, should welcome new fans, by the way, who are just discovering EPT Not Live because we were streaming in Malta. I think it's fair to say that we plugged the podcast quite a bit. Uh, Sam is brand new to EPT Not Live. He started at episode one this morning and is already at episode six. Says it's awesome to listen to hashtag binge listening. Yeah, good job, Sam. Good job making sure you made it to the show, making sure we got the tweet right before we recorded. Uh, I know you probably have more tweets. I just got got to air some dirty laundry real quick, James. Do it. So on my way to the office today, you know there's those big revolving doors downstairs? I've stopped using them. I've now started pressing the button that opens the uh, disabled access door. What the fuck is people's problems with revolving doors? That's why I've stopped using them. Like, they just don't get it. And typically you deal with the person that goes flying through it, and you're like, okay, that's dangerous. But this morning, I was coming in, and a guy went in front of me, and as he was getting out of the revolving door, he grabbed the handle to stop it. Like, as if he didn't want it to continue swinging around him without paying attention to the fact that there was someone in the fucking door behind him. Like, and I was just like, I can understand if he was being a dick and he wanted to trap me in as like a practical joke, but he was just unaware of the fact that there are other people on this planet and he stopped. So he stops the door. Why? Why would you like, it's not like, what are you worried about? Like I, if the door is going to, it's, we're not, it's not space. Like the door is not going to fit around, spin around for infinity. Joe, I'm afraid this is behavior that I can't possibly explain. What I'm interested in is bearing in mind there are other companies in this building. <laughs> is yeah. he working on another floor of the building or is he the kind of guy who'll be standing at the middle urinal outside the studio? Of course, James, he fucking works here. Of course he got off the elevator at the same time as me. Story checks out. And of course, he's friends with Nuno from IT. <laughs> as if that somehow explains everything. The story checks out. So I was hoping maybe we let's uh, let's give the IT department a call and uh, we'll talk to Nuno and see who this guy is. Okay, I'll give him a call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Ross and hold again. He's probably... He's probably hanging out with his buddy right now. They're probably playing pool or something. Maybe, maybe they're downstairs stopping the revolving door together! What are you doing? Why are you stopping the revolving door? You idiot! You got any good tweets to read? But fuck these guys. Hang up on them. We'll leave a message. Are there more good tweets or is that it? Was it just the one? Um, no, there's, there's, there's been quite a few. I think uh, people liked the fancy dress element of us doing the uh, podcast in Vision. Michael oh, they w- did? Okay, good. Michael Wong says, uh, just cracked up at the beginning of EPC Not Live at EPC Live. It was weird, but awesome. Uh, and Sam is already looking forward to the episode we're recording today. I hate feeling like I lost something in days after an EPT ends. Now I know there will be a new podcast in five days' time. Is that, is that all the time? <laughs> that could have had water in it, and it Whoa. didn't. That's my one time, everybody. Whoa. I was saving it for wow. poker. My heart started racing there. <laughs> but it turns out it was just going to be used in the fact that there was only one drop of that water instead of eight fluid ounces. Now, the fact that you were begging me for positive tweets implies that you might have some social media beefs. I got social own. media beefs. We're going to do social media beefs a little bit differently today because there's only one social media beef because this one, just for some reason, I really went off on this guy. And this one is directed at uh, Ryan, uh, who uh, who tweeted at me. This is at uh, Ryan underscore LFG, who said, I absolutely love when you tell a joke on EPT stream and it falls flat and there is 10 seconds of dead air after. Great comedy team. Now I can see James DeLamari is making a weird face in there. You know why? Because that. What, how many times has that happened? Never, right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, instead of doing our usual social media beef today, I have I've written a, a much longer single response to Ryan. And feel free to direct Ryan at Ryan underscore LFG to this this portion of the podcast uh, w- when you hear it, if you if you like, my friends. Hi, Ryan. Let's just for argument's sake say I agree these moments exist. I don't. And that I'm a part of some sort of failed comedy team. I'm not. But let's say they happen. My question to you is why? First of all, why do you absolutely love these moments? Is it because you genuinely find them funny? Did I misread the first part of your tweet as sarcastic and the second part is serious when I should have been reading the second part as serious and the first part is sarcastic? Are you recognizing those moments as meta-comedy? Do you really think we're a great comedy team? If so, I thank you. Please disregard the rest of this message. But somehow, I think that's maybe not it. Is it because you don't like me? Do you think I'm a bad person? Is it because you think I'm a bad person and therefore find enjoyment in something bad happening to me? I can assure you, I am not a bad person. I'm a pretty good person. Most people who have met me would probably say the same including people whose jobs I've taken. Also, we haven't met, right? Wouldn't it be weird to dislike me so much without ever having met me? I could understand if you had met me and didn't like me. Some people just don't like me. Those people are fucking stupid and probably have something wrong with them. But you haven't met me. To dislike a person so much to want them to fail as a human being simply from the words you've heard them say while doing poker commentary would be pretty crazy. And we both know you're not crazy right? So that can't be it either. Is it because you just enjoy the misery of others at random? I think we've all been guilty of that from time to time. I can honestly understand that. What I cannot understand is the feeling 
is feeling the need to message a person directly in an attempt to remind them. What kind of person are you? Would you describe yourself as a bad person? My guess is you would not. But would you describe someone who takes pleasure in a stranger's misery, makes it a point to track down said stranger, and then reminds them of misery as a good person? I wouldn't. I would say they're probably a bad person. So I'm just wondering why. Why send me that message, Ryan? Are you a bad person? You don't seem like a bad person. As a sign of good faith, Ryan, I'm gonna close this by telling a joke and then following it with 10 seconds of dead air. Great comedy team. I'm not allergic to gluten, but I will break into hives immediately at the sight of any man bun. I look forward to your response, Ryan. You're welcome to come on my show at any time to talk about it. Or if you want, we can go on your show. You know, whichever one of us has the better show can do the hosting. Okay. So he tweeted in fewer than 140 characters. How many fucking letters was that? Uh, that was, I mean, that was like two or th uh, like a tweet or two probably yeah two or yeah, three i think tweets. that might be like a three-part response maybe, maybe. <laughs> now bizarrely we are mixing things up a bit if you've been listening to this show from the start or even if you've only been listening for a few weeks you'll know that we normally conclude each episode of ept not live with our superfan versus stapes competition well guess what it's happening right now one of them loves the ept knows it inside out and would do anything for the European Poker Tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's Superfan versus Stapes. And the reason why everything's a little bit higgledy-piggledy and out of order and X before A is because this week's Superfan is such a Superfan that he's come to our offices and is sitting with us in the studio. So let's meet the superfan. Let's get to know him. What's your name, superfan? Uh, I think it would be Mickey Peterson. <laughs> Very pleased to meet you, Mickey. What do you do for a living? Uh, I play poker and I listen to the EPT Not Live poker cast. Well, that's what we like to hear. Now, obviously, in this competition, we give you the chance to win a Step C ticket and win <laughs> wow. that first step of the way towards playing an EPT. Have you ever dreamed about playing on the European Poker Tour? Oh, I'd love to try that one day. That's yeah. why I'm here. He would probably love to cash in it one day, right? <laughs> Burn. <laughs> Mickey, obviously, we are absolutely delighted to have you here. Uh, we mentioned on the show a couple of weeks ago uh, when we met up at the Hippodrome at the Lads Night in Charity event that you listen to the show and you listen at double speed. Yeah, everything's moving really slow right now. <laughs> that's but that's not because that's because you listen to like more podcasts than the average person, right? Yeah, it's just a a, a more effective way of doing it, I suppose. When, now, once you get started, you can't really stop. Now, I think it's fair to say that as someone who's actually won an EPT title and who listens to the show every week, you can qualify as both an EPT and an EPT not live super fan. Um, and because you listen to the show, you know how this competition works. You have to pick a specialist subject. And you chose the hardware and games of the PlayStation 1. Yeah, that's true. But uh, I will say it's actually not something I know that much about. Basically, when I was asked to pick a category, I realized 
uh, that I don't know much about anything that's not poker. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was sort of depressing in a way. It's, so. it's not against <laughs> the rules to pick a poker-related subject, by the way. I didn't even think of that as an option. Mickey probably didn't either, because that's not in the spirit of the game, the spirit to do something outside of poker. I have to tell you, by the way, that I met Mickey the same way I meet most super fans. He was drunk at a party and demanding that I follow him on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> So and now I'm here. Yeah, the story pays checks off. out. It just took him four years to get here. Now, when it comes to anything computer game related, I normally outsource to a guy who knows more about computer games than any human being I've ever encountered, probably because he used to work in the industry. It is the other commentator, the third member of the EPT Live team, Matthew Broughton. Hello and good morning to you and good morning, Mickey. Hi, Matt Broughton. Thanks for doing this, buddy. That's all right. Luckily, I'm such a nerd that most of this stuff I just kind of knew without needing to Google anything. <laughs> uh, are you, how do you feel about Mickey's revelation that he doesn't actually know that much about this subject? That's a little bit disconcerting, to be honest, because some of these are a little bit hardcore, because I thought, here we go. Here's somebody who knows what he's doing. Let's, uh, let's see if we can put him to the test. And I think it's fair to say that you're a tougher question master than I am. Well, I don't know. The thing is know the subject it's easy if you don't then you don't so it's very hard for me to know what is an impossible question to answer i should say that of the 10 questions i've prepared i tested my wife and she got five right okay well, so, <laughs> so no pressure. i don't want to like kind of put the challenge out there but i mean she has spent a lifetime listening to me nerding off about playstations but <laughs> just to set a bar somewhere for you to uh, go for that's how things are looking mickey did you have a playstation one uh, yeah, I did, but I, I will say I expected it to just be a bunch of softball questions that we could kind of, you know, we, we'd get seven no. right each or something like that. That's, that's not, really that's not, gonna not happen. how this competition works. Uh, Matt, I will play the role of scoremaster. I'll keep track of the score. Uh, I will turn the show over to you and allow you to run this competition. Wow, I feel so in control. I've also got my own soundboard. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah. I can't screw that up. Because I know that Joe really struggles to press the right buttons, and, and as I have no line of sight, I can't even give him the thumbs up or thumbs down. So, uh, although the good thing was I was looking for a soundboard, and I found one that goes incorrect, Joe. Oh, wow. that is correct, Joe. You can give it specific sentences, so I made it say it puts the lotion on its skin, or else it gets the hose again. So it's uh, it's a really great bit of software. The only problem is every few minutes it bursts into an advert for a video game. I'll really do my best to control that. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing as a free lunch. Anyway, okay, let's hit the sound bed and get this cat on the legs. <laughs> Superfan versus Stakes. Okay. Uh, and can I just check, can you hear me okay? Am I clear? Yes. Is that question Did one? Did I get it right? No, that was actually Mickey's question. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I'm afraid that's... That is incorrect. Right, okay, because Mickey is the guest, I'm going to ask him to go first. And I've done this, as I always do, nice and fair, is I have just numbered the questions, and you're going to pick at random the questions that you get, so there's no favoritism. So, Mickey, could you pick a number between 1 and 10, please? Uh, I'll go with 1. Okay. Controversial. Okay, Mickey. Nintendo had Mario. Sega had Sonic the Hedgehog. Who did Sony try to launch as its flagship character? Uh, Crash Bandicoot? That is correct. Oh, man, I would have got that wrong. I would have gone with Rayman. Yeah. Rayman? Was Rayman a thing? No, that was Ubisoft. It, it was a thing, but it, it wasn't It wasn't like Sony's version of it. Glad that know. wasn't my question. 
Exactly. And also, as a bonus question, Mickey, can you tell me what was Crash Bandicoot originally called? Oh. The character himself. Do you know what he was called in development? I have no idea. Right. Uh, it was... Uh, oh, Joe, do you want to pick this up as a bonus? It was Wally McWiener. Actually, you're strangely close. That is actually wrong. Uh, it was Willy Wombat. Oh, wow. Not bad. Okay. So now, uh, Joe, would you like to pick a number, please? I will go with number two, please. Oh, wow. You're making this really easy for me on the Word document. So, the original... Oh, dear. Sorry about that. It's very early. The original <laughs> concept for the PlayStation saw it being sold as a peripheral CD drive for which existing game system? Oh, wow. That's a great, that's a great question. Which existing game system? Uh, the Sega Genesis. I'm afraid that... Incorrect, Joe. Mickey, ah. <laughs> do you want to pick that up? Oh, uh, sure. I'll give it a shot. Um, Sega Mega Drive? I'm afraid it wasn't that. It was the Super Nintendo. Originally, the PlayStation was just uh, going to be a peripheral CD drive. Wow. But I can offer to Joe a bonus question. Is Nintendo blew the arrangement with Sony after secretly approaching another company to supply the CD drive? Who was that other company? Philips. Absolutely correct, sir. You're on the ball. Wow. The, do you remember the Philips CDI? I used to watch the... Uh, the infomercial for that over and over again. I was like, I need to have this. And it's actually one of the worst things ever invented, right? It was like the yeah. precursor of DVD, right? And yeah. you could get like a movie across five discs. <laughs> uh, it's one all after the first round. Okay, back to Mickey then. All right, I'll go with number four. Four, okay. <laughs> you've thrown him now, you've gone out of sequence. <laughs> no, I know, I don't know what to do. I'm panicking. <laughs> No, it's all fine. It's all fine. Uh, right. Sony spent $48 million buying the company behind Lemmings. It renamed that company as Sony Interactive Entertainment. What was the original company's name? Ooh. So effectively, this is saying who was the company behind Lemmings. I just thought I'd try and make it more Sony-based. Uh, Ubisoft? I'm afraid that is incorrect. Joe, do you want to steal it? Uh, Lemmings was originally made by, um, you know, I don't, I don't have an answer to that, but I do have a good PlayStation 1 anecdote. Can I tell that instead and maybe for like a quarter of a point? Uh, well, uh, you can tell the story. I'll let James decide if it's worthy of any point. So PlayStation was so innovative when it first came out that these friends of mine, they got theirs on the day of the prom. And they got it. They were already dressed for prom and they hooked up the PlayStation. They're like, let's just play for an hour before we go. And they played Resident Evil and they ended up not going to prom at all. They stayed home playing Resident Evil in their tuxedos until dawn. My, <laughs> my response to that is cool story, bro, but you ain't getting a ah, point. Okay. Oh, he's harsh, isn't he? He's harsh. Okay, let's move on. Joe, pick a number. Wait, please. wait, wait, wait. What was the answer? Oh, <laughs> do you know what? I was so enthralled by the story, I forgot where we were. Sorry, the actual answer was Cygnosis. Cygnosis? Oh, so close. Yeah, I don't I don't even remember what your answer was. Anyway, um, okay, Joe, sorry, moving on. A Quest, number, please. Question three, please. Okay, thanks, you've made it much easier for me. Joe, which futuristic PlayStation game featured visuals by the Designs Republic and music by the Chemical Brothers? Parappa the Rapper. That is incorrect. Mickey, do you want to pick this up? Yeah, sure. That is an amazing game, by the way. Um, I'm going to guess Wipeout? 
That is correct. Oh man, what's the score right now? 2-1 to Mickey. Okay, it's not as bad and, as I thought. And also, there's a bonus question attached to this one. So, Mickey, if you want to pick this up, Wipeout was set in the year 2052. Which year was the sequel set in? 2053. No, it was actually based uh, in 2097 in the game. The sequel was called Wipeout 2097. That's why I thought it wasn't what? an unreasonable question. What was Wipeout? What? What was Wipeout? It was an amazing futuristic racing game where you were like in these floating ships around incredible courses and the music was banging. Was it like uh, like jet skis? No, it was nothing like jet skis. Okay. <laughs> nice try though. Well, you said, was it, was it water? No. Oh. It was just in space. Like it's it one of space. those games that like probably gives you a headache if you played it now. Okay, got it. Oh, it's all okay. like polygons and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of polygons, Joe. You wouldn't have liked it. Okay, but good, good, good attempt at joining in the conversation with the kids there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mickey, pick a number for me between five and ten. I'll pick number six. Ah. Okay. One of the PlayStation's key launch titles was a conversion of a hugely popular Namco arcade game. What was it called? It is not the right answer. Joe, do you want to pick this up? Pac-Man 3D? That is correct, Joe. No, it isn't. It isn't. That's ah, right. What a slow <laughs> Incorrect, Joe. Sorry, that's the fun. I'm new to this whole soundboard business. No, the answer was Ridge Racer. Ridge Racer. Oh, man. Okay. I must have left that where I left Wipeout. You're not so cocky now, are you, about trolling Joe over his inability to press the right buttons? Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, if you saw the setup, I'm kind of balanced over a chair trying to look at a laptop with one working eye, and it's just, it's not oh, as easy as it sounds. Oh, good for you! <laughs> oh, you want to do that, do you, Joe? Yeah, you want to go up, up soundboard battles. Um, okay, Joe, would you pick a, a number between five and ten, but not six? Five! Right, okay. Which Sony engineer is regarded as the father of PlayStation? Charles Sony. Correct, <laughs> Joe. That is not correct. Oh, fuck, was it Robert Sony? I'm tempted to give him <laughs> half a point for Charles Sony. <laughs> uh, Mickey, can you steal this? Uh, it's pretty unlikely, but uh, let's give it a shot. Shasi uh, Nusama? That is incorrect. Oh, Wait, so close. It was Ken Kutaragi. Oh, but that's what fucking... I said. Again, so I was just expecting a much higher level of nerd. I can see I've, I've aimed way too high here. Again, the wife got five. The wife got five. Just remember that. Well, we've got five oh. between us, I think. No, you've got three between you. Right, but we got four more questions. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, this will be Mickey's question. Seven, eight, nine, or ten, Mickey? I'll pick, uh, I'll pick number nine. Right, you are. Right. Um, okay. Oh, man. <laughs> I've got so hardcore. Okay. So Sega had been enjoying success with Virtua Fighter since 1993, but which was the first successful Sony exclusive 3D polygon beat em up to launch on PlayStation? I'm just going to go with Taken. It was not Tekken. Tekken had been in the arcade since 1994. 
Joe. So wait, so it's the first PlayStation exclusive fighting game. Yes. Basically. Yes. Uh, dead or alive? Incorrect, Joe. It was Battle Arena to Shinden. Obviously, now right. that I've said it, you're all thinking, right. oh, of course it was. Ah, uh, was I was actually it was came down to Dead or Alive or Battle Arena uh, Nishinden. Yeah. Tendonitis. <laughs> okay. All right. These these ones we might be okay. Joe, pick seven, eight, or ten, please. I'm gonna pick uh, ten. Okay. You should have picked seven. Seven. Go seven. There's always with seven. Every time we're going to dinner, there's more of the seven and the sevens. Right, the original PlayStation, Joe, was first launched in Japan when? I need a month and a year. Fuck. Month and a year? Well, start off with the start off with the year and think about it, and then at least you're like kind of 11 to 1. Uh, I'm gonna go with the year of 1995. <laughs> okay, good start, Joe. I would have gone uh, the same. Mickey, do you want to try and pick this up? Sure, I think it was a uh, 94. Ah! Ah! Now, there's a bonus question attached to this. Uh, James, what, what's the score right now? Uh, well, bear in mind that that was only the year and not the month. Uh, it's oh. two. Uh, that's two and a half for Mickey. Okay. But he can make right. it around three if he can guess the month. You're only you're you're eleven to one against to get it right. Sure, I'll go. Uh, seems like a Christmas thing. I'll go with December. Absolutely. Oh, come on. Score is now 3-1, Mickey Peterson. Now, there's a bonus question attached to this, but as it was Joe's question originally, and because he's doing so badly, I'm kind of tempted to throw it at Joe. Let him have it, You yeah. won't get it anyway. Are you all right with that, Mickey? Absolutely. Give it to him. I don't want your Joe fucking charity. Ask the question to Mickey, goddammit. All right. How long did it take to sell a million units? So it launched in December 3rd, 1994. How I'm gonna, long I'm going to get to answer it anyway. I'm gonna get Sanders because Mickey's gonna get it wrong. Oh, I'm going okay. first. Oh, uh, a year? That is incorrect. Okay, Joe. How long did it take to sell a million units in Japan or? Yes, from that launch on December 3rd, how long did it take to get to a million units? Uh, one month. Incorrect, Joe. No, it was three months. Ah! Uh, right in between. Right in between. Okay, there's just two questions left. I don't think I'm going to be needing a tiebreaker. I could be wrong. Uh, Mickey, seven or eight? I'll go with seven. 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 Okay. Very simply, what was the best-selling PlayStation game throughout its entire history? What was the best-selling PlayStation game? Um, Gran Turismo. That is absolutely Shit. correct. Oh, that's it. It's over. There's 10. no way. 10.85 million. There's a bonus question just to just to dig it in. <laughs> Can you tell me what the second best-selling PlayStation game ever was? No, I'm just going to guess. I'll go with Final Fantasy VII. Also oh, correct. my God. Wow, this is a specialty subject. You know what? I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. I know it's not over yet. Joe, you, I'm clapping now. You do have a point on the board, so yes. it's not like it's a complete shellacking. It would be good to lose 5-2 rather than 5-1, though, so try and salvage a little bit of dignity here. All I'd like to say is that the PlayStation was a system when I was not allowed to have a video game system. So right. I used to have to go to my friend's house. I will say this. Bulldogs was there. Why wasn't there a question about how delicious the controllers are for Bulldogs? Because my friend's Bulldog would eat his PlayStation controllers all the time. No questions about that, I noticed. No, 
no, I, I didn't find that anywhere to bring to the quiz. <laughs> I can only apologise. Although, interesting fact, saying about the best PlayStation game selling that, that 10.85 million, Grand Theft Auto V sold over 54 million. Holy so that shit. gives you an idea of the way that the industry has changed. Anyway, interesting fact, nerds. Right, final question for Joe. It's question number eight. And I've got a good feeling about this, Joe. Okay. Which PlayStation game featured a paper-thin dog with the motto, <laughs> I gotta believe? A paper-thin dog with the motto, I gotta believe. Parappa the Rapper? That is correct, Joe. I've never actually, <laughs> I've never actually played that game before, so I was just... Okay. And the good news is there's actually a bonus. Mickey actually gave it away when he looked at me. He's like, how are you not going to get this question? Well, it's because when it was mentioned earlier on, I thought, great, it's now in everyone's minds. There's a good chance Joe will accidentally get this if he picks it. So, <laughs> I only did because Mickey. Because if Mickey weren't in studio, I would not have gotten that right. So thank you, Mickey. Okay, meanwhile, there's a bonus question, Joe. So this could really pick up your score. Can you name Parappa the Rapper's karate teacher? Uh, yeah, it was, um... Sensei Bensei. Incorrect, Joe. I'm afraid that is not the right name. Mickey, can you steal this? Uh, I, I, the only thing I remember is he was dressed like an onion. So... I'm <laughs> going to give you that. It was Master Onion, and that's good enough for me. Yeah, I give it to him. What the fuck do I care? Well, the... So, End James result, Tully. Matt, after that quiz is that Mickey has won by a margin of six points to two, which means that not only have you pr confirmed your superfan status, you have won a Stepsy ticket <laughs> worth 27 euros. And, yes. and I think this is the real reason why Mickey came in today. You are now, or soon will be, the proud owner of an Everyone Loves a Chop Pot t-shirt. Oh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> he almost said that like he meant it. Uh, <laughs> Matt, thank you very much for your hard work in compiling those questions and obviously for running this competition here today. An absolute pleasure, gents. Keep up the good work and uh, I guess I'll see you in Prague. We will see you in Prague. Bye, Maddie. Bye-bye. Hey, James, what do you say we let Mickey stick around for a little uh, event recap from Malta? Good idea, because I believe Mickey was there. Event recap. Event recap. Oh, I forgot it was Spooky Malta. Yes, with the final table played on Halloween, which meant that someone decided to decorate the venue with some of the most inappropriate horror-themed garb. That was weird, Mickey. Did you see that? Uh, I actually left right the day before, so I'm pretty excited to hear about this. Oh, so you missed the uh, kind of quartered, disemboweled woman yeah. that was on the main table by the cookie station. <laughs> not, not an actor, by the way. Not an actual body either, but this weird dead body that was cut in half and had all of its guts spilling out onto the table, and then free cookies. And then, of course, there was the skeleton in a chair. Uh, there was the hanging skeleton. I don't mind skeletons. I think, look, I like I like that they tried, right? I like that they went for the Halloween theme. I love Halloween. I was really sad to miss Halloween. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a history of really great Halloween costumes, James. Uh, when I was in college, I dressed up like Ash from Army of Darkness. Nailed it. My second year of college was actually 9-11, so what I did was I, I created this, um, man, this would never fly today. 
but I created this dummy, uh, like sort of in a robe in a turban, oh, and <laughs> and sewed it, sewed it to my crotch, and walked around with a with a uh, wife beater on and like a USA hat and a sign that said "Suck it, Osama." So that was uh, that was that year. I did um, I did Magnum PI one year. I did the most interesting man in the world, the guy from the memes. I don't know is. Raise light, but when I do, it's with eight three offsuit. I so I I love Halloween very much. So I was sad. So I was glad, glad that they tried to do something, but that was disturbing. That woman, the disemboweled yeah. woman, was disturbing. As far as uh, Halloween outfits through the ages go, Joe, how did your attempt at being Princess Leia for our last podcast rank? Um, I would say not great. <laughs> now I did dress as a woman once before when I was really young, and I got mugged. Me and my brother were dr- both dressed as old ladies and we got mugged and we were never sure if they thought they were robbing kids of their candy or two actual old women. Um, so that's the only other time I dressed as a woman, uh, you know, other than for, uh, never mind, and uh, for Halloween, I should say. And uh, I didn't like it though because I, it didn't really read. I don't think it really. I don't think it really read that I was Princess Leia. So I, no, I think it did. I think the fact you were surrounded by two stormtroopers and had the uh, those, those buns. The stormtroopers didn't read either, though. Everyone looked like they were just wearing like pajamas. Those <laughs> costumes were so cheap and shitty. The problem is that if you're wearing pajamas, normally it's because you want to be comfy. There was nothing comfortable at all about these awful acrylic outfits. Mickey, you so you made it back in time for Halloween. Did you do anything? Uh, I watched, uh, the yearly, uh, the nightmare before Christmas. And then I just, I was so jet lagged. I just fell asleep. You know what's weird is I used to go see the nightmare before Christmas every year in LA at the, like the Disney theater, you know, they would have like, you know, a lot of, they'd either be in 3d or they'd have real snow during it. I actually, I don't get the movie's not that watchable to me. Like I'm really, I I, I love it. Like I, the songs are incredible. Yeah. I feel like uh, for once a year, it's all right. And it's really short. That is the, that's really good is that it's short. Yeah. No, I'm a big fan. Uh, Mickey, we spoke on our last podcast uh, a lot about our trip to Malta, the journey there, my toilet troubles, the media event. How was your Malta festival? I think you had a decent score, right? Yeah, I had a, I, well, I had a min cash in, uh, in one of the first events. That's not too important. But then for the first time, I got invited to, uh, to the staff tournament. <laughs> and, I, and I managed to uh, take third in that for 175 euros. Barely that, missing out on the trophy, but that was actually the most uh, the most fun tournament I've played in a very long time. The staff and media tournaments are really fun. James and I like to call it the Caddy Swim. Have you ever seen Caddyshack? <laughs> no, I want to now. Okay, it's a fantastic movie. Basically, it's- once a year at this very posh golf club, the caddies are allowed to use the pool for 15 minutes. Everything you could imagine happening happens within that 15 minutes. Just all the wrong you can cram into something is generally what happens. In the, maybe maybe the staff tournament is different, but the media tournament is certainly the same. Now, Mickey, you didn't go to Malta in the spring, right? This is your first trip there? Yeah, this is my first time there. I, I've, it's actually my first EPT uh, probably this year. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much did the weather suck? How much did it suck? Uh, I'd say like an 8. Yeah, I'd I, I push it to nine. I, the reason why I think I'm going to push it to nine is because I think it got a little bit overhyped because everyone was like, we know the weather wasn't great in March. It was a bit too cold. But if you come back in the autumn, it'll be amazing. It was really good before we got there, though, because all the people who got there the week before us, like right. the people go to set up, we're all tweeting these great photos of like, you know, the beach. I and just got like, pissed sc- on every single day. Yes, but what about when you went outside? Da, 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 da. Uh, yes, it was. And also the, the drainage systems, not great. As previously discussed, they have plumbing issues in Malta and the the roads, like you have to walk through like 
two inch deep puddles to get to the menu. I didn't experience any of this. I don't know if we were in different locations or what, but I mean, I remember it rained, but I only really remember it raining the last day. To be fair, you don't remember much though, so this is hardly. A, I definitely would remember like you, having to it? like swim to work though. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I live basically at the top of a hill, and every time I'd like go out and like try and be healthy and get groceries, it would just rain so much on the way back that it was impossible to to get up anywhere. So the lesson is, don't buy groceries. I guess. I guess yeah, that's just delivery all the time. It's a really pretty popular winner of the EPT Malta main event. Neil Farrell, who's been a regular on the EPT for a few seasons, has come close to making the final table a couple of times. Is Neil someone you know from the circuit, Mickey? Uh, I'm, he's someone I know very well, both from the circuit and uh, from the pub whenever you bust afterwards. Uh, yeah, he's a great, great guy. It was cool to see him win. So you're actually happy to see him win? Yeah, it's what, like, often when someone wins, like, public you say you're happy for them and then secretly inside you're like bitter and jealous but with uh with him i'm actually happy to see him win yeah so your bitter jealousy scale is not i mean there's gotta be something there oh uh, yeah but it's like a one and it's a one really to ten low. or something okay. it's, it's yeah he's a good guy he definitely deserves it did you happen to watch the final table at all mickey or were you just uh done with poker for a little while uh i, I didn't get to see any of the final table no Okay, well, just to bring it back to Halloween for a second. So during the final table, Liv Bury was on, and we started talking about Halloween stuff, and the scary stories came up. By the way, I thought of the world's shortest scary story. Are you ready? It's only two words. President Trump. <laughs> uh, we, were telling, we were telling scary stories, and I ended up telling this one on the air, and I thought maybe you... Uh, it's worth repeating, I think, because it's the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. And so uh, I'm just going to play the clip uh, of what I told on EPT Live. When I was in college, uh -huh. at university, a bunch of the teenage boys from my hometown were disappearing. Well, not a bunch, but like a, a couple. And they uh -huh. were finding the bodies mutilated and murdered Ooh. in various places Jesus around Christ, town. Jesus Christ, this is not the kind of anecdote I thought we were getting. It's here. Halloween, so, come on. Right before I went home for Thanksgiving, one of my friends, well, not really a friend, but a kid I knew, went missing. Oh. And they were concerned that he was had fallen into whatever this... Right string of murders had been and so i went home for thanksgiving and in the middle of the night i woke up and i heard someone in the backyard calling my name and so i went to the window and i opened the window and in the backyard was the, the guy knew, who missing. was missing and he said joe you have to tell them where to find me and i was like what he's like you have to tell them where to find me and he gets in a golf cart and drives away, and I woke up, actually my heart's racing right now telling this story, I woke up the next morning, and my dad was reading the paper, and he said they found your friend, and they had found his body tied to a tree in a golf on a golf course. And I was like, ridiculously freaked out, but I rationalized, and I was just like, whatever, like, it was just random, and you know, your brain has weird random dreams or whatever until my brother came down the stairs and he said joe did you hear that guy in the backyard calling your name last night what yeah that's my scary story how happy halloween everybody I, is this real yeah my heart's racing telling i've got story. like legit goosebumps that's one of the creepiest <laughs> and kind of most exciting stories I've ever I've heard in a long time because that's like right? a legit sort of paranormal. I don't know. I'm I'm the biggest skeptic of all this sort of stuff. And but it that ends is with weird. a dead kid. I don't know how we move on from this. I don't know how we. <laughs> 
That's one of the best ghost stories I, I've ever I heard. I told it right before the break. That's why. Wow. So we got two and a half minutes to get over that. And then it's challenge tapes. <laughs> 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 so anyway, yeah. Um, I just would like to also thank Neil Farrell and uh, Alan Bielich for uh, not doing anything during the heads up and not interrupting my story. I was going to say, I'm actually impressed that you managed to tell that story considering how short this final table was. Yeah, Mickey, what'd you think of that story? Uh, I mean, not only is it the scariest thing that's happened to you, it's also now it's the scariest thing that's happened to me. Just <laughs> <hearing it. laughs> He's experiencing it by osmosis. <laughs> now, as soon as we went off the air, Liv's like, did they ever catch the guy? And of course, both of them asked me, that, like, all right, is the story true? I have a confession to make. It is true. But it didn't happen to me. <laughs> You've basically taken someone else's story. I've stolen my friend's story. The thing is, I've told that story so many times as if it happened to me that I really do get nervous and shaky when I tell it. Like, I just... You've started to believe it. Yeah, it's as if it really did happen and to me. And not being funny, with your memory, in about two years' time, you are, you're actually going to genuinely believe it did happen there to you. There are a couple of lies, like old anecdotes I told, I told for about... It takes about 10 years. <laughs> and after 10 years, you forget, oh, wait... That never really happened. That was actually just a, a, a fucking fib I've been telling forever. So uh, that was good, though. What'd you think? Yeah? Everyone liked it. Mickey's yes. already freaked out. He's got nothing to say. Yeah. <laughs> You've stunned him into silence. I just referenced how short the final table was, by the way, and we really feared the worst when they got heads up because I think it went like... There are 100 six, and 110 big blinds deep. Yeah, six, five, four, three, down to two, and we started having flashbacks of some of the overlong heads up battles of the past. Battles like Mickey Peterson versus Pierre Neuville, for example. Uh, but these guys... Did a 50-50 chop, pretty much. And don't get me wrong, they still played it out. I mean, I played kind of like 60, 70 hands a heads up. But we were done by dinner time. And I like that. Dinner, Mickey. Did you uh, did you eat at the buffet at the Hilton at all? No, I didn't. I was actually not staying at the Hilton. Right, so I didn't, I didn't get the chance for that. You just pretended to the grocery shop. Was I, was I missing out on something? Yeah, okay. So, best buffet Ever. It was insane, buddy. I don't even have to tell you. I you're like you're like a foodie, right? You you're like really into food. No, but I'm definitely a buffet kind of person. Okay, good. <laughs> you would have. I think you would appreciate this. Now, when we say buffet, we're not talking about the American version of buffet, right? Like that's. No, I'm talking about really high end. Just so on the night before the final table, we went to the buffet and it was really good. It was like an eight out of ten. Yes. And we were like, boy, that's amazing. Let's go back to the buffet after the final table. We went back to the buffet, but it was Saturday night buffet. It was insane, the amount of things they had in this buffet. I was actually over the top and unnecessary and a little gluttonous. I took a video of the buffet. I was like, I need to do a blog about this. I just went and looked at every single item of the buffet. You know how long the video is? Nine minutes long. It's fucking nine minutes long. Just to put it into perspective, Mickey, there was more space in this restaurant dedicated to food than there is to tables, which probably means that there is more food than the number of people who can get into that restaurant can physically consume. And the dessert choice was just ludicrous. There was a, there was a spot. Okay, so just to talk about desserts, right? This is only the dessert thing. They had an ice cream stand. They had a guy making pancakes or whatever, crepes or something, right? They had all kinds of cakes, like a whole circle thing of cakes, like a rotary of cakes. A chocolate orange fondue That's fountain. what I was getting to. You could dip your food in a chocolate fountain, Mickey. 
That is insane. I've stayed at so many Hiltons, I've never heard of anything like that. This I've never was, seen anything like this. This was amazing. However, there's always one dissenting voice. And sadly, one member of our crew was not overly impressed by the buffet. That man is four-time Aussie cameraman of the year, Bruce Baggles, who refuses to eat fish. He's a man of simple taste. He didn't like the fact that there was even fish in the restaurant. That's what was weird. Is he oh, didn't... sushi station, by the way, also. Again, but that just... Ma- it, he, all he, he couldn't get past the sushi station. If there is fish in the vicinity, he basically is unable to eat. You got any friends that are fussy eaters, Mickey? Uh, I mean, yeah, but nothing like that. How do you how do you even go to a buffet if you're so repulsed by one item? Mickey, I have a six year old daughter, and trust me, Bruce is fussier than she is when it comes to food. I have never encountered anyone who is so picky and so whiny about menus. Hey, picky, you're so fine. Uh, so the trip was going well. Um, we 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 we, I, we ran so good with feature tables across the five days. Final table was done by dinner. This is amazing. James forgot that Mickey came in as a guest during EBT EBT Live. Uh, If I wasn't there, it didn't happen. Um, We obviously had the great buffet, really good last night. And then we tried to get home. And that's where it all went wrong. So, Mickey, you made it on time because you left early, right? Yeah. And I got one of those flights where there was only two other poker players or something like that. Oh, that sounds so nice. We, unfortunately, (laughs) were leaving on the Sunday. And there was rain and thunderstorms in Malta, but worse, there was fog at Heathrow. And 50 or 60 flights had already been cancelled. Our flight was delayed, what was it in the end? Five hours? Four hours? Four and a half, five hours, something like that, yeah. But it's one of those airports where you don't want to be delayed. Like, we were sat back thinking, oh, they've got a hard rock cafe, so when it gets to like 6pm, let's go to the hard rock and get some hot food. We walk in there, no, 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 our kitchen's closed at 5pm. Yeah, just just island time, no big deal. We're just you can have anything from the case. It reminded me of that scene in Tommy Boy where like he has where they where they're just super hungry and she's like, "Sorry, kitchen's closed." And anything you see in the case, and then he has like the absolute meltdown over the shrimp, and that's what I did. I had an absolute meltdown, and then I ate a tuna wrap and I calmed myself down a little bit. I didn't mind the delay though. I liked the delay because it was like five hours that no one expected anything of me. That I could just sit there. I had nothing. Like you can't get anything done. So I was as happy to sit there and play words with friends. And as long as my cell phone and my computer stayed charged, I was fine with it. Plus, I started drinking again. (laughs) After taking the pledge that we wouldn't drink on the Malta trip, at the point that it got to hour three of the delay, we're like, fuck it, we're drinking. Technically, I was supposed to have been home from the Malta trip (laughs) when I started drinking. So that's how I'm going to justify it. Also, very sad to say that Air Malta, not quite the nutlow of airlines. That honor still belongs to Ryanair, but this is pretty close. Very cramped seats, old planes. I think they inherited them from British Airways a few years ago. And I had yet another run-in with staff. Yeah, you did. Now, I am willing to concede, Joe, that the last anecdote, which we told on episode 24, I take some of the blame for, because maybe I was a bit snarky with the guy at security (laughs) at Heathrow Terminal 4. (laughs) On this occasion, I'm sorry, this was just blatant rude behavior from the air crew on board this flight, and I have backup here, because Graphical Nick, who was sat one seat away, overheard the entire conversation and he said they were bang out of order well also didn't they eventually apologize to you one guy came back how and often does that happen where someone apologizes for something never so i'm willing to concede so here's what happened from my perspective mickey so they make this announcement like because of crazy fog we have to do an auto landing and so we need you to turn off all your electronics and i hear this and i'm like well you know what like 
10 out of a out of 11 flights i get to watch my my movie all the way till we hit the ground this time they're like it's for your own safety can you turn it off i'm like sure no problem snap it off it's a little boring sitting there for 30 minutes having to talk to security tony whatever he's got an irish accent the stories are all a little bit more interesting so but then what I do is I look over and I see a flight attendant stop and telling James that he has to turn off his iPad. And I see there's a bit of an argument. I'm like, oh, God, James, just turn off the fucking iPad. Jesus Christ. We all know it's not going to crash the plane. Just do what they're asking. OK, from my perspective, here's what happened. Noise canceling headphones mean that you don't hear announcements. And when they started speaking, I took one ear off. And on Air Malta, they insist on doing announcements in Maltese before English. I'm like, eh, it's probably just the, <laughs> we're going to be landing soon. Make sure you put all your stuff away. Put your tray tables up, seats up. So headphone back on. And I continue listening to Katy Perry's Teenage Dream album. At which point, uh. the guy starts tapping me on the shoulder and goes, you need to turn that off. And I went, oh, I thought the rules had changed. I thought you could keep stuff on during landing now. And he goes... And then he just snaps. He goes, no, you need to turn it off. And we are waiting for you to turn it off right now. Turn it off. Flight mode's not enough. Turn it off. I'm like, okay, okay. And his buddy, who's clearly a little bit embarrassed, comes back like two minutes later and went, um, sorry, sorry, just so you know, it's an emergency. It's classed as an emergency landing. And that's why you have to turn it off. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. Here's my question for you, though, James, and I'll, I will say that as you know, you you weren't as snippy with this guy as you were with the guy at security for some unknown reason, because apparently you want to visit Guantanamo Bay. But why argue at all? Why not just go? Okay, cool. I'll turn it off. Do you think he was he was had made a mistake? Yes. Eight, eight months after they it's, said you can land. Yes, because I've actually been on flights. No word of a lie. Where they still tell you, and I and they go, sorry, I thought you changed the rules. And they go and check with a colleague and come back and go, oh yeah, you're There's fine to no continue. There's no way. Come on, that's never. It's happened. happened to me on Finnair, and it's happened to me on Norwegian. When though? Like when they first? Within the last. 12 months probably okay like maybe 11 months ago that might have happened but there's no one that they're gonna I go, rewind oh, shit, you. hold on a second you're the first person that's ever tried to watch an ipad as we're landing i rewind you to the earlier point which i made that this airline is close to being the nut log <laughs> fine whatever I, I still think that you just go oh sorry okay i'll turn it off i wanted an explanation why he didn't give me an explanation why he started shouting eh, that's still an explanation anyway uh next leg of the European Poker Tour is Prague just before Christmas. And of course, uh, we'll be telling you about when we'll be streaming live and how you can qualify for that over the coming weeks. Uh, one last thing before we get Mickey out of here. Mickey came to see me do stand-up comedy last night. And I got to meet Mickey's lovely girlfriend, Mariana. She was awesome. Uh, big comedy fan herself. But Mickey, now I would like, if you can, give me some harsh notes. Give me some, give me some, where, where can I improve? Oh, you were actually, and I'm not just saying this, you were really good. Oh. I, I, yeah, it's, I, well, I know it's you. disappointing. I know but. it's not It's not disappointing, but it's going to seem like I set this up on purpose. Yeah. All the audience is going to go, <laughs> what an asshole having Mickey on the air just so he can... Drag me all the way out of bed so I could come here and uh, yeah, tell and people to go see your shows. What, what Mickey doesn't know is that basically we're going to cut out the Superfan versus Stape segment, cut out the entire <laughs> chat about stuff. Mickey Peaton's here to tell Joe how good he is at stand-up comedy. I, I will say, the, the only thing I will say is that it was uh, it was quite a small group last night. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. Sure. And it's, uh, it's not something I would... I, I've seen you before now, and it's not something I would ever have gone and done if you hadn't been there. But uh, it's actually surprisingly fun. I'd recommend people to, even if you're not there, obviously they should go see you. Uh, you know, instead of going to the movie or going out or something like that, it's a, 
it's a pretty fun thing to do. That's cool, man. I appreciate that because a lot of times people don't really realize it as like it's it's still a pretty fun night out. And even for me, getting up and going to see stand-up comedy feels like a chore, but I'm always glad I went in in the end. Yeah, it's just a. Uh, I mean, it's just something that's uh, it was completely outside my comfort zone, and you might get you know dragged into it a little bit and stuff like that. But it's a ton of fun. So. Oh, and the guy Alex loved the fact that it was Mickey. So Alex is talking to Mickey. He's like, "What do you do for a living?" He's like, "I play poker." And he's like, "Live or online?" And Mickey goes, "A little bit of both." And so I'm like, "Alex, I just decided to interrupt." Alex, Mehmet Mori. That's Mehmet Mori. And then he has like an absolute meltdown. Uh, that was embarrassing. Yeah, he actually came up in the break and told me about uh, how he watched the, the live stream I was on the, the, uh, during the, Malta. The, yeah, the really. <laughs> oh, he watched when you were on as a guest. Uh, no, when I maybe when I was on as a guest, but when I was on the feature table, oh god, he had been watching it. He was like, "Oh, was it day two or day three you were on?" Yeah, he like, watched yeah, every second. Of yeah, the, uh, he, he was of, well into it. VPT Live. Yeah. Hey, maybe we'll have Alex Martini on as a super fan sometime. That would be fun. That's a good shout. I will write that on my list. Um, talking of super fans, Mickey, thank you very much for coming in today and uh, making the effort to join us in the studio. Um, and we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Yeah, see you in Prague, and uh, thanks for having me on and proving that. I am a super fan, and uh, and hopefully I can uh, can I throw this ticket in the pool for next week maybe because sure. I already have a a, a step ticket. <laughs> sure, Mickey, no but problem. You, but you're not going to get back the t-shirt, are you? You want to get out of here uh, with I'm that de- t-shirt? I'm definitely getting. I'll tell that, you what, yeah. I have an idea of something I want to do with that ticket. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna talk about it at the end of the show. Okay. Thanks, Mickles. Okay, Joe, let's talk TV because another Shark Cage heat has concluded and that means we have another winner and another finalist. TV Recap. So in case you didn't see the show on Channel 4 in the UK on Tuesday night or haven't seen it yet on youtube.com slash pokerstars, spoiler alert, Andre Akari beats Leo Margetz heads up to take the fourth seat in the season two shark cage final. And I know I ask you this question every week, but how many people are in the final? Eight, right? Six. Fuck! Why do I, it's, I lose that flip every time. That's a glitch in the matrix. You know what I'm talking about? Like anytime you have like a 50, you ever go through this in your life? Anytime you have like a 50-50 choice at something, you always pick the wrong one. Yep. And you're like, I could have sworn last time I was the other one. I'm pretty sure in an alternate universe, there are eight in people. In season one, there were eight people at the final table. Season two, it's six max throughout. So we've got two more seats to fill. There's a brand new heat next week. And obviously at the end of the show, we tease the lineup. It might be my favorite heat of all six. Really? Uh, Is Ivy? EPT founder John Duffy. Oh, that's good. Antonio Sfandiari. Hollywood star Don Cheadle. Gail Garcia-Diaz. Natalie Hoff. A great qualifier called Corey, originally from New Orleans, who now lives in Norway. Um, it was a really fun lineup. They all got on superbly, and it made for a great game. So you've got that to look forward to next week. So this week was the second heat, the second half, rather, of Ronnie Bader's attempt at redemption. Um, Varun, you were wrong. Ronnie Bader did not win. Wrong. Uh, we'll chat to Ronnie in a little bit. Let's talk about the other players in this heat, starting with Leo, because she was the runner-up. And, sad panda, I kind of felt a little bit sorry for Leo, because I really thought at one point she was guaranteed to get through. Uh, part of the reason why I love Leo so much is because she's so freaking cute, and I don't even mean that in a physical way. Like, yes, she is cute physically, but her personality is adorable, and I love... She makes like the cutest little English mistakes. Like she gets the idiomatic expressions wrong all the time. So she's tr- always trying real hard to like say, to work these sort of turns of phrase. 
into what she's saying, but she screws him up. And I've, I, <laughs> I got a couple of them here. Uh, this is probably my favorite one. We'll start off with the strongest one. This is from her, like, this is from like the pre titles or whatever I think you call it. At this moment, anyone can be evicted. Now, did she say at this moment, anyone can be evicted? Yes. That is amazing. That is amazing. She thinks she's on Big Brother. And that's true because I, I have forgotten to pay my rent <laughs> at the moment. So at the moment, anyone can be evicted. I really like that one. And you know what she's trying to say? And it just ends up... Eliminated. Yeah, yeah. eliminated or even ejected, but evicted. I like that. I just love the thought of like a landlord coming down and like asking for the rent. Maybe that's for... I've got it. Neil Johnson is the poker landlord. The landlord. <laughs> You have thirty. You have thirty seconds to leave the premises. So that was the first one. Here's another one from Leo. I have a shark fin. I've already sent someone to the gate. Yeah, and I'm ready enough to send someone else there. I'm ready enough. Did she say I'm ready enough or ready or not? Ready that's enough. E that's even better. Uh, if she's just heard someone play hide and seek, and she's like, I'm ready or not. Here I come to send someone to the shark cage. Oh bless her. I'm ready enough. To sense no, it's cute. I think it's cute. Look, my Spanish is fucking terrible. My Spanish is muy malo. Uh, I got a couple more here. Oh, he's massive. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't really mess it up so much as she just said Andre's massive, and we all took it to mean that she meant his dick. So that was fun. The one thing I'll say, sorry, Leo, but I do have an issue with people who, when they get it in ahead, call for outs. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a minor thing, but it really riles me. It's like you don't need any cards. The other guy needs cards. He's the one who should be like... It's better that she's talking than not, right? Like, I sometimes feel bad. Like, we want people to talk and we want them to show emotion and personality. And then when they do, we're like, no, 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 not that kind of emotion. Not that personality. Mm -mm, different personality. My favorite moment from the whole show, by the way, is when Ronnie asks her out to dinner and she says, that's okay, I've got something better. And then she holds up a banana and you can hear me in the commentary say there's so many ways to interpret that because obviously I interpret it out that she doesn't need to go out to dinner because she's got the banana to consume instead. We've talked about Leo. We talked about Andre. What about Fatima? Fatima is a is a is a it probably gets the most attention, right? Well, she's very verbal, and a lot of what comes out of her mouth is quite blue. It is quite blue. So I decided to uh, to give you guys a little bit uh, a little bit of too hot for TV. Too hot for TV. For TV. Fatima Demello. This is a song that I found on uh, Audio Network, and it's called Bad Girl. Well, fuck! I'm sitting down. <laughs> ah, shit! No bullshit, please. Right. Uh, <laughs> 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 fuck her! Fuck her! I knew it! Fuck you! I'm still fucking annoyed right now. It's like, there's a fucking Scandi at the table and I'm the Viking. Assholes. Fuck yeah. But you're fucking nine, didn't you? Fuck my life. <laughs> now that's creative. You love it. Adam, editor's worst nightmare, right? Just to be bleeping constantly. What was your favorite part of the show this week, James? I enjoyed seeing Ronnie Bada continuing to do his thing, which is to flirt with anything in a skirt. Yeah, that was, um, so I have to ask you before we get Ronnie on, is that what I sound like when I'm doing it? Cause it's, it's like one of those things like, like I see him and I'm like, ah, oh, that's just, uh. are you saying, eh, why are you sparing either this, either I don't really sound like that or you're trying to spare my feelings. 
bit from column A and a bit from column so B. So I'm not quite as bad as he is. No. But I'm a little cringy. I think, to be fair, he was obviously edited down from what was a five-hour heat into sure. two hours of television. So it, it looks a little bit more intense than maybe it actually was. Of course. There's a little TV magic happening there. And I think I think that he's probably also playing it up for the cameras a little bit, too. Let's not speculate anymore. Let's just bring him on the air and ask him ourselves. Yes, indeed. Welcome to EPT Not Live, Ronnie Barda. Ronald, what's up, dude? I'm chilling. What's up, guys? What's going on? How are you? You How's really, things? How's you really are chilling. You're in, you're in Aruba right now. Yeah, I'm out here for the PPC. It's just a tour that I sponsor, and um, and uh, the championship events in Aruba every year, every uh, once a year. So we're here now. That sounds like a pretty good time at the moment. What we want to do is we want to talk to you about Shark Cage. Have you had a chance to see your shows yet? Yes, I have. I have watched. Uh, I've, I've watched the episode. It's, 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 it was pretty good. I liked it. I mean, obviously, you're probably not going viral this time. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, it's a, maybe a combination of both, you know. But <laughs> There was a lot more of your beatboxing, and there was a lot more of your, shall we say, flirting? Well, you know, I, I like, the, I love the ladies, you know, and um, Leah, Leah, Leah Marquez is really cute. You know, she's, uh, she's got that look that I like, and, you know, I just like to flirt and have fun. You know, I hope I didn't offend her because I know she's. A, she told me she had a boyfriend, but you know, I guess. You know, and uh, she told me her mom was interested in me, so that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ronnie, I, I don't think you offended anyone because I think most people take you for what you are, which is which is pretty harmless uh, for the most part. But I do have to ask about all that flirting. Like, what is it? First of all, were you genuinely interested, or were you just playing it up for the show? Uh, I think probably a combination of both. Like, yeah, I was. I was acting like I was playing it up for the show, but if she gave me a shot, I wouldn't say no. You know what I mean? So how single are you? Are you are are you the type? Now you mentioned at one point you said something like, "I I want to settle down and have kids. I want to find someone first. Is that just a ploy to get someone to think that you're t that type of guy? Or are you genuinely looking for like a real love connection? <laughs> uh, yeah, I am generally looking for a real love connection. Um, you know, I've made a lot of different love connections. I mean, I I I am single as hell. Uh, I am looking for a love connection, but, but you know, I'm not going to just, you know, settle for it. So you're not going to settle. I mean, this is a line that I used to use all the time. I used to say, well, I mean, eventually I want to settle down, but like, I'm not going to like do it right away, which pretty much I meant that I was a player and I just wasn't going to have a girlfriend at all. I wanted a one night thing. Is that really what you're saying? That's probably what I'm saying. I just, I just I'm just in the denial. I'm just in denial and I don't want to, you know, I just don't want to come to terms that I'm just, you know, an animal. That's okay. But, uh, yeah, you're, I that's think it's fine to be honest, you know, with yourself and with others, especially. Um, do you think that maybe you would have had a better chance with Leo Margetz had you called her by the right name? You kept calling her Leia. She's not from Star Wars. Uh, so her name is Leah? Le Leo. Leo. Oh, I did keep, I, I, yeah. That's why I remember, you, I remember you said that. Yeah, maybe it's possible. I don't know. I, I Girls don't care. I don't think she cared that I was calling her Leia. She probably doesn't mind. What do you think they care about if that's not one of them? They just care. They just If you're just nice to them and you're respectful and you're good looking and, uh, you know, and you can you can buy dinner, I think that's all that matters. Maybe not in that particular order, but, uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily something. include getting their name right as being respectful as long as you don't, Ronnie. Have you ever won a girl over yeah. by beatboxing? <laughs> not... Uh, um, usually, what beatboxing come? I mean, usually beatboxing it w works really well after a club gets out because you know these girls are pretty drunk, 
and they get out the club and they're like, I want to hear more music. So I just come behind them and I start beatboxing. And all of a sudden, it's like the Pied Piper. They start following me. And it's like they're like, I, I call them Stumbolinas. They start stumbling around, like just moving, dancing to my beatbox. And they just follow me to like, you know, a diner. And then we sit down, have chicken noodle soup. And hopefully we're, we're in my place like an hour later. Let's you do know, That's it. how that works. Let's do a quick little role play. Like, oh, my God, Ronnie, that club was so much fun. But like, I just wish the party would keep going. Like if there does anyone like have any music they could play? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I just woke up, so it might be a little hoarse, but you know, I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take a shot. I'll give it a shot. <clears throat> if you were drunk, Joe, you'd be all over him right now. I'm wet. I like how he's working in the se the sex sounds into the beatboxing. Like I could hear like a little orgasm in there somewhere. Nice job, Ronnie. Oh, thank you, thank you. Usually I put some treble in there, but my voice is very harsh and hoarse right now, and I can't, you know, I can put some treble and some high high pitched sounds that really get the girls going, you know. But uh, yeah, I just woke up and it's it's tough. It's really tough in the morning. I no, gotta, that's, I believe me, I understand. I'm not at my best in the morning either. Hey, Ronnie, I noticed you got that, you got that Brockton, you got that Boston accent right now. Do you think there's anything that uh, separates Boston poker players from anyone else or are, are people just people? Um, I mean, people are just people, but I, I Boston, I, I know a few Boston poker players. Most of them moved to California. I mean, uh, we play a lot of limit, a lot of Boston players love, we play a lot of mixed games because uh, growing up in the Northeast, you know, it's like a big seven-card stud area, you know, and when poker got introduced to Europe and all the other, and, and, and poker blew up, it was all no limit, but we've been playing cards in the Northeast for like years. We, we play st uh, stud, you know, stud high-low, Omaha high-low, you know, limit hold'em is, is pretty big, so that's kind of our background. Uh, so that, that, that would separate us in, in a way, and... Um, I mean, you got a lot of bright people that grew up in the Boston area, some of the biggest schools in that area, and it's a good education system. Not necessarily where I come from. Brockton's a pretty tough area, and our school's not the greatest. But, I mean, you know, Boston, Massachusetts is a great place, and a lot of good, a lot of good guys from Boston, a lot of nice people. You know, I, we're, we're pretty, we're pretty real in-your-face type of people. You know, we tell you how it is. I always picture Ronnie in one of those scenes from Goodwill Hunting where Ben Affleck's driving and goes to pick him up in these mornings. Like every day, I pull up here and I just hope, I just hope for that one second that you're not going to be here, that you're going <laughs> to, that you're going to be off in Aruba somewhere using those poker skills. Yeah, I, I got out. I got out of Brockton, and it was, it was a fun. It was a fun time, but I got out. You know, uh, there's a guy here in Aruba. He's a he was an FBI agent working in the crime division, and and. He was telling me all these stories I remembered from Brockton. He's like, you know that guy that the kid that it, after he got shot, he ran his car into the into the, right into the convenience store. I shot him. That was me. Like, yeah, <laughs> oh my god! Yes. Yeah, I do remember that. Two thousand one. Yeah. America. Oh, okay. Ronnie, a couple of questions we want to ask you about the Shark Cage heat you played in season two, but we have to first of all revisit Shark Cage season one. And I'm interested. One year on, are people still? coming up to you or have you finally got over it has it all died down now no people are still coming up to me somebody <laughs> asked me yesterday why did i fold a hand and they they wanted to and it's like i don't know i i, I don't get i it's not, i'm not tired of it, it doesn't bother me you know i guess other people probably be bothered by it but it doesn't bother me i still explain why and 
you know, what, what was what was my thought process behind folding, and I you know all the things. It was it was a perfect storm. I mean, I I just woke up. All, all these things that just had to happen for her for her to for her to own me like that. But no, it, it still happens. I still still see people that ask me, you know, oh you're that guy. I'm hoping they're like, oh you're that guy that cash the main event fire isn't all over espn no. no they're always like no 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 no. it's always you're that guy from youtube and <laughs> yeah that, that espn video has probably been seen by like thirty five thousand people whereas this has been seen by more than three million it, that's basically the yeah that's i think that's actually the numbers i think it's yeah that used to be it's like thirty five thousand. It's three, yeah, three point two million people. So. Ronnie, I got to tell you, I would have folded that hand all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. But what I wouldn't have done is raise the turn. Yeah, but I mean, why? <laughs> I mean, you're trying to trying to keep. Everybody's like, you shouldn't have raised the turn. You got to keep bluffs in a range. I don't think she's bluffing ever like that girl. When I first, when Sarah, I don't think Sarah was going to be bluffing like the first hand. So I just thought she had a queen. I wanted to get value, and I raised and. You know, she she just owned, she just punished me for playing the hand that way. I mean, a lot of people said exactly what you said, like you know, you shouldn't have raised a turn. You could have check raised the river a little bit, a little better, depending on her sizing. You know, call the turn, and then check the river, and if she bets huge, you can just call again. If she bets like the same amount, you can check raise her for val- You know, check raise and get some get more value there. But I don't know. You know, I, Ronnie, just, I'm just glad you played it the way you did because it's one of the greatest hands in poker history, and hopefully you have no regrets for that reason. Because I don't think it necessarily like. If anything, it probably helped your poker career. Like, I don't think anyone, like, thinks less of you as a poker player. Now everyone in the world knows who you are. Yeah, I mean, I ganged two nice friends out of it, you know, Joe Stapes and then Mr. (laughs) Hardigan here, so I'm happy about that, you know? I've been shown some of your legendary Snapchats before that anyway, so um, (laughs) I was well aware of your legend. Ronnie, there was a couple of things you said on the show that I actually had never heard before. I'm going to play one of them for you now. Uh, This one, if you could explain this to me. Who's going out to dinner with Ronnie Barda? Spoiler alert, no one. Oh, wait, that was the wrong one. Sorry. Uh, here, here's the line. <laughs> okay. Color TV. What the fuck is color TV? Oh, it's, it's like a... It's like a... Any picture card, color TV. When, when I used to play blackjack at Foxwoods with all these Asian animals, okay, they used to scream, color TV, they used to, or monkey, <laughs> but they used to say... They used to always say, always say color TV. If they had an 11, they doubled down. Or if the dealer was showing like a 15 and everybody stayed and she flips over the 10, people screamed color TV. But then I think everybody screams color TV. It's like a Northeast thing. That's amazing. I'm taking that now. I used to, I've, I know Monkey and there was one time uh, Barry Greenstein was playing uh, High Limit Blackjack in the private room uh, in Bellagio and I was back there sweating him and I was yelling Monkey and he just turned around and shook his head. <laughs> he just <laughs> yeah, went. next time color TV. Color, yeah, TV. color TV. Okay, well that's, color TV. that explains that one. And how about this one? You have to run good to win these things, folks. I mean, I can play like Moses all I want. Who's Moses? Well, you know, Moses, he's, he's part of the Red Sea. You know, like the, the, the biblical guy, you know, like that was close to God. That he discovered the Ten Commandments, Moses. Sure, you know? sure. So, no, I, I guess I asked the wrong question. What is Moses in this context? Well, well, don't you remember the very first final table of the World Series main event? Dole Brunson, Johnny Moss, Amarillo Slim, Moses. Moses played super tight. Yeah, Moses did play super tight. You know, I... I just don't want to say I, I know I'm a Jew, so I don't want to say like running like Jesus or you know I could say God, but it's kind of disrespectful. So like I need to run like God, and everybody says that. But so I just use Moses once in a while because he's like more, you know. Ronnie wants to run like Yahweh. Not being funny, I admire you for mixing it up and picking other characters from the Bible. Maybe maybe we can just flick through, pick a character at random, and let's go Cain yeah, exactly. and Abel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Ronnie, uh, one, one other thing that you said that I actually, I lost the sound clip, but you said you called for a bird on the flop? Yeah, birds are aces. 
I thought I knew poker nomenclature and slang, and I'm so glad that I have Ronnie Barda to teach some new shit. Listen, to me. birds. I've heard people like we started birds in Foxwoods in 2004. You know, I got two birds, and uh, and now everybody's <laughs> saying it. Everybody all around Vegas, World City, people say I just got my birds cracked, or two. I got two fucking birds. You know, they look down, or they just talk about having birds. Yeah, we just call aces birds because you know they just fly. Ah, I love it. Well, yeah. you're going to be hearing that on television a lot more soon because I'm definitely going to start using color TV. It's going to get hammered to death, Ronnie, by Mr. Stapleton over the course of the next 12 months. I really enjoy you guys' commentary. It's, 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 you guys, I, I say it all the time. You guys are the best in the business. It, but to have you like in the States, you maybe. Maybe you can take a uh, lawn and uh, homeboy's job in about 20 years from now, you know? When they decide, anywhere, but you never know. Yeah, when they decide that they've had a long, fruitful career and decide to t retire and hand the torch over to James and I, I would be more than happy to collect that torch. Ronnie, uh, one last serious question. Then I got a game for you. Do you, would you have rather had something happen as it did here in season two of shark cage nothing went viral or would you rather had something incredibly embarrassing happen again and have it go viral a second time um i i, I don't mind I, I didn't mind the embarrassment it wasn't that embarrassing for me as, as much people thought it was it didn't really uh you know like i said i don't i don't mind i didn't mind it and so it was just poker it was great it was great for tv anything's great to get poker in the, in the light and get poker out there and yes. for more people i mean i i had tons of people who who don't even play? Who never played cards? Who read the read? You know, it was all over sports. It was in sports articles and magazines and online. People who never play poker come up to me and and uh, you know sent me messages on Facebook and said it was you know it was great. I don't it's people like I don't even understand what happened, but I just seen this girl beat you and embarrass you. And no, I don't mind anything to get poker in the limelight and to get other people interested is good for the game and good for us. And uh, That's so a I, good I, I wouldn't mind. If, I wouldn't mind if something else happened. If if you know if, if another crazy hand happened like that in the future. With me, which is, is, I guess I have you know, a better chance of most people to happen because I just end up in these situations for some reason a lot. Ronnie uh, Barter taking a bullet for the good of the game. Yes. Yeah, why not? You know, I'll take all the bullets for the good of the game. I'm, I'm, I hope this game gets bigger and better and, uh, you know, and, stays, and stays well you know, for, for everybody's sake. So. Well, Ronnie, your, your bullet that you took basically has entered you into an exclusive club, and that club is full of people that have been in embarrassing web videos. And so I thought what I would do is I'm going to present you with a little bit of a quiz. How well do you know your viral videos, Ronnie? How well do I know my viral videos? I know them pretty well. Actually. Okay, fantastic. We got a short little quiz. It's called Going Viral. Question number one. This viral video was quoted by Ronnie Barda in another viral video after Finnish supermodel Sarah Shafik bluffed his balls off, almost literally. The quote was, is this real life? What viral video is it from? I'm, it was one of my viral videos. I said, is, is this real life in some other video I, I made, I was in? It, no, just, I'm sorry, in the Sarah Shafik video, you say, is this real life? That's from another viral video what is it from okay um i don't know i'm stumped james you know that one nope that's from david after dentist that's where that comes from the little kid that was all doped up at the dentist he, he thinks he's dreaming he goes is this real life oh, oh sweet I've seen that i've seen that one before all right here we one. go Question number two. This viral video featured an electrifying rodent possibly overreacting to something, possibly related to someone named Alvin. 
Alvin and the chipmunks. So you got chipmunk as part of it. Uh, I don't know. That one is dramatic, oh. dramatic chipmunk is what we were looking for there. That one's too hard. Here's an easy one. This one's got an audio clue. What viral video is this from? Any guesses? Uh, I'm enjoying it, but no, I don't. I, 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 is it the Drake? Is it the Drake Hotline Bling videos? Not Drake no. Hotline Bling. That's from Keyboard Cat. Keyboard Cat. Keyboard Cat. Okay, Ronnie is uh, 0 for 3 so far. Here we 0 go. 0 for 3. I, I stink. When a pop sensation suffered an emotional breakdown in 2007, what did her superfan Chris Crocker tell the world to do? Um, what super sensation broke down in two two thousands pop sensation two thousand seven? Britney Spears. Britney Spears is is the pop sensation. But what did her super fan tell the world to do? I do not know. I'm not really a big Leave big it alone. Leave, Leave it alone. Leave oh. Britney Spears alone, Ronnie. I do remember. I do remember that. I have never seen any of these videos, and do you know what? I'm quite proud. Yeah, me too. I'm with you, James. I'm Brittany, first of all, she's a great performer, but she stinks. Oh, um, wow. Ronnie, she's such, Ronnie, you she's, need to leave her alone. It's true, but she's such a bad singer. She's a good dancer, and I guess she's, she, I guess her shows are great, and she can dance, and all everybody behind her does a good job. But as a, as just a singer, she's terrible. Ronnie obviously has a, has a lot of thoughts on Britney Spears. We should have him back on the show for our Britney podcast. Ronnie, <laughs> yeah. question number five. News reporter Melissa Sander of Atlanta, Georgia, was famously injured in a viral web video. What was she doing at the time? She was interviewing somebody for a car accident. She was interviewing somebody. I'll give it to him. I'll give it to him. He, she, was also, yes! she was also squashing grapes. She was squashing grapes with her feet when she fell out. Well, the good news is, Ronnie, you kind of got one right, but you also got a hell of a lot wrong. Um, so... so Sadly, you did not win the game. But that's okay. Well, well, that's okay. There was no prize up for grabs anyway. You, <laughs> you still get to be Ronnie Barda. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm trying. There's a, there's a few biscuits on the beach over here, so I gotta I gotta go. I gotta get to work. I'm, there's a lot of Venezuelan and thongs out here, so I'm gonna go out there and just start looking. Color TV, go get them, Ronnie. I'm gonna try. Ronnie, thank you very much indeed for sparing the time to talk to us. Of course, I'm gonna try to see you boys in uh, EPT uh, Prague. You guys will be in Prague, correct? Yes, yeah. we will. I've never been there. I heard it's beautiful. And, it's uh, a great time in Prague. It's an awesome city. And you know who's also going to be in Prague before Christmas, Ronnie? Sarah Shafek. You know, I've never yes. been. I've never been Sarah Shafek since, you know? The reunion. We can make it happen. Yes. We got to do something. Yeah, maybe yeah, if I get out there, we should do something. It'll Definitely. Be, it'll be fun. Definitely. I'm going to start working yeah. on that right now. Thanks again, Ronnie. Look forward to seeing you in Prague. Event Recap. Event Recap. So here's the thing, people. We're talking Bond. James Bond. <laughs> We're talking Spectre, Moneypenny. And there will be spoilers. This is the last segment of this episode of EPT Not Live. So here's the thing. A, you have no interest in James Bond movies. B, you haven't seen Spectre yet and don't want it ruined by us gabbing about it. 
I would stop listening now. The rest of the show is all going to be about Spectre and it will contain spoilers. The legitimate, the only legitimate answer there is B, by the way. If you have no interest in a James Bond movie, you should listen because I will make sure that you never want to see one ever again. This is probably not the best one to start with. Um, we obviously have The Good, Casino Royale and Skyfall. And then we have The Bad. And this is closer to Quantum of Solace. You might remember Quantum of Solace was a film where James Bond had to track down the enigmatic Mr. White and then go to the heart of a sinister organization. And then it culminated with the villain's lair exploding because the gas tanks went up. In this movie, James Bond has to track down the enigmatic Mr. White, go to the heart of a sinister organization, and the film culminates when the villain's lair explodes because the gas tanks go up. Because of that reason, James, I actually rank them Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre. You actually rank Quantum of Solace ahead of Skyfall. I that do, That is yes. controversial. I think it's less controversial to rank Quantum of Solace ahead of this, because I actually think Quantum of Solace is a little bit misunderstood. Also, it's one hour and 46 minutes long, whereas this is two and a half hours and feels like it. Hold on a second. No, I'm sorry. I got it wrong. Casino Royale... Skyfall, Quantum, Spectre. I would agree with that assessment. This, this movie is really, really bad. And it's really disappointing to me because I, I, first of all, I thought I was a James Bond fan until I met James Hardigan. I spent most of my teenage years tracking down all of the James Bond movies on VHS tape, which was difficult to do at the time because there was no internet. And so it was like a project of my teenage years because obviously having sex with girls wasn't one of them. And so <laughs> I thought I was a huge James Bond fan. And so um, I think that if you, especially if you take out, right, Quantum of Solace and, and Skyfall, right? And then you put Casino Royale next to Spectre. This movie is an absolute joke. Whereas Casino Royale was like serious and dark and like tried to put like a real human spin on everything. This one is a complete joke. And the problem is that they are still trying to have that human drama, that emotion, that serious edge, while at the same time pushing it to the fantastical levels that like the 60s and 70s movies All those cliches. To. Honestly, the movie is so full of spy movie cliches. It's like they've never seen the Austin Powers movies. Uh, like there's so many things. I'm like, what, what are you doing? And here's the biggest thing with this movie is obviously they got the rights to Spectre and Blofeld back, having not had them in the Bond films for decades. So they thought, yes, we can finally bring back James Bond's arch nemesis, Ernst Stavro Blofeld. Let's cast double Oscar winner Christoph Waltz, one of the best screen villains of all time. This will be awesome. No, it won't, because you haven't fucking learned anything. You cannot have the board table scenes where random people get bumped off. You cannot have the lair inside a hollowed out volcano, or in this case, a meteor crater. You can't have the scene where he feeds and dines James Bond while telling him his evil plot, and then puts him in an easily escapable situation. I mean, it was- And the white cat and the scar. Come on, let's move on. Are you taking the piss? I, I was like, I was like so angry. I was like, what the fuck are you guys doing? The moment the white cat appeared, I'm like, I'm done with this movie. I'm sorry. You had a chance here to reinvent Blofeld in line with the character in the books. The, the White Cat, by the way, completely an invention of the 60s movies. Doesn't play a part in the Fleming works at all. So there was no need for it to be there. And what's so sad is the movie does get off to a pretty strong start. Yep. The pre-credit sequence in Mexico City. Yeah, very uh, good. Day of the Dead 
is outstanding. Bear in mind, I've now seen the movie twice, and on a second viewing, I was less blown away from it by it because I really enjoyed the fact that I think pretty much the first three it was or like four a, it was minutes, like a touching evil touch of evil. Yes, is meant to be a single tracking shot. On second viewing, it's like, yeah, I can see all the digital fixes where you had someone walk in front of the camera so you could go to take three, and it makes it less impressive when you know that they fixed it in post and it wasn't actually a genuine single take. Yeah, I think that's whatever. That's that's. But that sequence is still that's pretty a, awesome. That's a Varun level comment. It's still pretty awesome. It's the only location in the movie that gets used well. After that, it's kind of like the classic Bondian globe hopping. And it's like, now we're in Austria. Yeah, some mountains. Uh, now we're in Tangier. Uh, we're there for five minutes and they probably used a set at Pinewood. Uh, oh, now we're in Morocco. Could be any desert. There was no real great use of the locations as there has been in previous movies. Yeah, there was like, you know, one or two good shots from each of those, but the, yeah, the only one that was really used properly was Mexico City. Can we move on to the Bond girl for a second? Uh, which one? Lea Sadu or Monica Bellucci? I don't really count the one that he bangs for like five seconds in the beginning of the movie as a Bond girl, but I guess... What, what qualifies someone as a Bond girl? Anyone that he, he beds down? Yeah, I mean, she has a very small role in the film. She's on screen for about five minutes. I guess there's the possibility that she could reappear in another movie. Right. Um, whatever. She was like a non-thing for me. Nice. Always nice to see Monica but Bellucci. It's a, it's she's a, still a very beautiful woman. Absolutely. She's like it's 70. A, but it's a big deal that you cast someone of that caliber in a Bond movie and they're hardly in it. And that surprised a lot of people. And... I mean, she's actually only one year older than Daniel Craig. And actually, I thought it was really good that finally James Bond is banging someone of the same age rather than girls 20 years his junior. Right. Well, no, that's boring. That's not why we go to the movies. We go to the movies for fantasy. But Leia Seydoux thought she was very good for the most part. But then again, there's always a scene like so she ends up she like really hates James. And then all of a sudden she doesn't. And whenever oh. there's a scene that I'm like, is this a dream sequence? And it turns out not to be a dream sequence. That's a fucking stupid scene. This film, to me, can be summarized in one key moment. And I'm going to make a very unfavorable to Spectre comparison with Casino Royale. Do you remember the awesome sequence in Casino Royale where the guys show up with the machetes and there's the massive fight on the stairs and obviously Bond gets slashed and beaten and then he basically chokes the guy to death at the bottom of the stairs. Yeah. Goes back to his room, is visibly shaking downs half a liter of whiskey takes off his shirt washes his bloody hands in the sink and vespa is so in shock that she's just sitting in the shower shivering yeah and he basically comes sits next to her and puts his arm around her and it's just and they have a good cry and it's a fucking amazing scene it's a good scene in this movie bond bond girl get into fight with henchmen henchmen dispatched they sit down what do we do now and they have sex. Let's Just like in a Roger Moore movie from 1977. Yeah, that's that's the sort of um the sort of departure from like the serious and it doesn't have to be a dark bond. But if that's what you're going to do, this is a movie that didn't know what it was. It didn't know no, if because this was dark bond. It's still trying to soul search and it's still trying to connect everything to Bond's tortured past. By the way, the biggest problem with this movie, I mean, the plot has so many holes in it, it's not really worth going into in any detail. It tries to tie together everything from the last three movies and it fails dismally because it contradicts loads of the plot points from the last three movies, which were better than this film. Yeah. Um... And also the whole the 007 section, sort of the 00 section is antiquated and needs to be reformed. Been there, seen it, done it. Move on. 
Yeah, my I, so if I could just cut to my least favorite aspect sure. of this movie, and we touched on it already, but it's the whole. There's that whole scene in the desert where James and Bond girl show up to Henchman's lair to try to kill him with Bond's one pistol. They arrive in a chauffeured car, driven by a man hired by the supervillain. Don't they have no plan whatsoever? Uh, James's bond gets take James's gun gets taken in the first 30 seconds with like no guns and he's like cool and somehow they think they've come there to how like all Blofeld had to do is put a bullet in his fucking head when he got out of the car <laughs> or blown up the train station when they got there it's so fucking dumb and he explains the but plan but he hasn't had him. the chance to explain his evil plan I, I mean I can't even believe this is a this is fucking happening like I'm like so angry and insulted and then so uh, then all these things happen like because it's so ridiculous all these things happen like they completely take me out of the movie m even more yeah so i'm like boy there's sure a lot of people working on this base what, 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 what i wonder how often food gets delivered i wonder <laughs> do you so, think blowfell pays better than minimum wage yeah like i wonder what those guys make there's this scene where like there's like all of these like automatons like human beings working at uh, like dozens and dozens of computer monitors right i'm like we're wonder where they're from. But, but Joe, you hit the nail on the head. This film is like Austin Powers never happened. Yes. Because Mike Myers has spoofed all of these things, including the life of an underpaid henchman and what happens to his family when he dies. And it's, it's how are you getting away with this? How do you think that this is possible in the year 2015? And it's like, if you're going to do it, just go balls out. Fantastical. Don't still try and make it dark, brooding emotional like there's this scene there's a scene where uh where blofeld's done talking and all the people on the monitors like sort of stand up in unison and all turn like very creepily and all i can think to myself is like so what you're telling me is like before blofeld walked in his assistant was in there i was like all right people okay everyone listen up so in a few minutes the ceo he's gonna make a big speech in here and when he says the word die I'm going to need everyone to just stop what they're doing and stand up all at the same time and turn a 25 degrees to the left. Okay, let's try it. Okay, three, two, die. Okay, a few of you were off, but we were really close. Like, how the fuck? And then there's this classic where, like, the dress, like, the, the, they're prisoners, but, but Blofeld has bought, like, a dress for the Bond girl. Like, and all I can picture is, like, some assistant, like, had to go out and, like, find out her shoe size. <laughs> Like beforehand, it's like, hey, sorry, was there like a French girl in here a few weeks ago? Did can I just do you remember like what shoe size she had? Like, just fucking keep it real, man. There are so many unnecessary references to the old movies as well, like the clinic on top of the mountain, which is meant to be a nod towards Piz Gloria and on a Majesty's Secret oh, Service. God. The meteor crater, which is clearly like the volcano and you only live twice. And Christoph Waltz, I'm sorry, I thought he was a disappointment, especially after Javier Bardem in Skyfall, who I thought was incredible and was given that amazing entrance where he comes down in the lift with the brilliant speech about the rats, which John Logan wrote for him. And Christoph Waltz, it's like he just kind of showed up and well, like I thought and, they, they, and played it totally by the numbers. I thought when they revealed his name, it was going to be, and this is your this is your arts nemesis, the actor Christoph Waltz. Yeah, because that's who he was playing. He was playing, it could have been any of the other characters he's ever played. It was, my biggest problem with Blofeld that I do think that this made him look really nefarious and sinister, and I don't know if a lot of people picked up on this or not, but he wore shoes without socks. Yes, I spotted that. Shoes without socks is definitely only the kind of thing that a fucking psychotic person would do. Absolutely. And another unfavorable comparison to Casino Royale, there's a reasonably nasty torture scene 
in this film. Yeah. But it does not have the impact. It does not have the drama or the tension of that raw, nasty sequence in Casino Royale with the knot of rope. I thought it was just as nasty. What I didn't get was why? Why was it happening? Yeah, because at least in Casino Royale, he was trying to get information, yes. right? This was just like, because I can, because I am Christoph Waltz. Because I'm a bad guy. I think, I, actually, I just remembered my all-time, the stupidest thing in this whole movie. And, and we there's both, a long list of stupid things. We both things. laughed at the exact same thing. There's like a comedy countdown clock. <laughs> like, it's just... System it's, goes live in 36 minutes. Countdown till villain wins. And there, it's like, what? Who... No, that's not a thing. That's never been a thing. That Ugh. never will be a thing. Please, can we get past that? Along the way, there are some decent set pieces. And the irony is it's not unenjoyable. And I don't hate it, but it's such a letdown when you've seen the direction they seem to be heading in. And now it's taken this turn. I know there's a lot of debate, Joe, about whether this is Daniel Craig's swan song. and whether, It won't be. Whether they will reboot the franchise. I have a theory about where the series is going next, by the way. Obviously... Blofeld survives the movie. He's arrested. I mean, when does a Bond villain ever get arrested? For what, fuck's sake! What cliches have they, or have have they not, or have they already well, covered that they want to cover again? Well, bear, exactly. Bear in mind that with Casino Royale, we rebooted the franchise, so what's past has not happened. So I think that with him driving off into the sunset with Leia Sadu, I think the way you continue the saga is that you use the plot device from Her Majesty's Secret Service. Sure. Blofeld kills girl, Bond goes after him for revenge. Bond is back. That's where I think it could potentially go. Alternatively, if they don't hold Daniel Craig to his contract and decide to get bring a new actor in, I think it's probably time for another reboot. I think continuing this line, it's getting a bit tired. Yeah. And, and what's with Team Bond at the end? Where it's like Mission Impossible. He puts together a crack team but of not Bond, as good. M, Moneypenny, Q, and that guy whose name no one remembers. Fat guy? Tanner. Tanner. Uh, I had a question about James Bond in general, and I'm sure people have probably pitched this before. Is there some universe where all of the actors who played James Bond all actually have existed together and they've all just been given the name at birth, James Bond. Someone has basically formed that theory in the past, yes, and said that maybe it's just like different secret agents who all have the same name. But the films have never adhered to that because references have been made, for example, in to the, the same things. References have been made in the Roger Moore films and the Timothy Dalton films to obviously his wife being killed, which happened to George Lazenby. So it is meant to be the, the same character and incidents in his past are referenced throughout that series. But that series ends probably with Die Another Day and the new series, the new James Bond, the contemporary James Bond, starts with Daniel Craig and Casino Royale. Okay, fair enough. Now, my absolute favorite part of this movie was the trailer for The Force Awakens beforehand. <laughs> so that's one reason to go see it, guys. And the irony is, the last time that happened to me, and there's a connection here, when I went to see Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, the best thing about that movie was the trailer for Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me. Uh -huh. Which brings me back to the fact that, did Sam Mendes not see those movies? Uh, it's so bizarre. I mean, he's English too, right? Yeah. I mean, you'd think that that's... Uh, I don't know. It's really... It's not... It was as if not only that it was as if they had seen it and they were trying to squeeze as many cliches from it in as possible. He was like, hey, the plot of this is really good. The whole thing about the giant laser, maybe when we should do that with the next film. So here's the thing. So here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. Here's my pitch for the new Bond movie. Here's my pitch. Here's my pitch. Ready? Everyone's always trying to avoid cliches. 
let's do the opposite. Let's have as many as fucking possible in this movie. It, uh, I, but do you know what? We are in a minority because the movie's been getting five-star reviews and it's breaking box office records left, right, and center. So It's th- so bad. It's so bad. And that's it. That's all the time we've got for this week's show, guys. Uh, next week, we've got a brand new Shark Cage Heat to talk about. Don Cheadle, Gil Garcia-Diaz. And a reminder, if you didn't catch up with the conclusion of Heat 4, Episode 8, YouTube.com slash PokerStars. Uh, last week, if you paid attention to the video version, the EPT Not Live at EPT Live, we did we ran a little ad for something called Pagan Events, and it doesn't work audio-wise, and James had to cut it out of the audio version of the show. Next week, I will give you guys an audio version of that commercial for those yes. of you who missed it on the video. Uh, I think I'm going to resurrect a very old segment from years and years ago from Poker Road Radio, from Poker Wire Radio. Uh, I think I'm going to... Do you guys remember Sandy the Degenerate Fuck? I'm afraid I'm not familiar with the gentleman. More on that next week. Uh, I will recap the London School of Economics thing. The, this is going to become one of those things where... It just like, keeps getting pushed. Next Honestly, week. it's not even that great of a story. Next week. It's like 30 seconds. I just knew we weren't going to have very much time this week. And I think next week we are going to help out a super fan. Uh, we didn't have quite have time to get to it this week, but I'd like to do something nice for someone out there, someone who's supportive, and not someone like you, Ryan, at Ryan underscore LFG. Eat a big old pile of shit. As I stated, that's it. That's all the time we've got for this week's show. We will see you next week. Until them people listen to it. He's James Hardigan. I'm Joe Stapleton. Smell you later.